Hey, how's it going? This is Tyler Murphy, and you're listening to the Lonely Painter Podcast. And uh, let's see, today, what am I? I'm sitting here at my uh, table here in my kitchen. Um, actually, I guess this is no, this isn't the kitchen. This is the uh, this is the dining room. Yeah. So I'm sitting at this wooden table. The last couple episodes, I've been sitting in my uh, rocking chair, but I thought, uh, let's see what it's like if I sit, if I'm not like a total lazy um, podcast host and actually try to sit up straight and um, let's see what the re- if there's any uh, difference in the quality as I hear myself and some of these other past episodes as I'm editing things and cutting out little pauses and stuff. Um, I think, man, I kind of sound really sad and depressed, but I think that's just because I'm like slowly thinking through things and I'm just kind of uh, taking my time and I'm just sitting there kind of uh, really comfortable in a rocking chair also, just kind of mumbling, you know? Uh, So I think if I, I'll probably get back to having a few guests on here and there. Because I think I'm a little more animated in conversation with other people. I don't want you guys to think that I'm a total snooze fest, that I'm just a total Eeyore in in my whole life. I can get pretty passionate about things. Speaking of things that I'm passionate about, we have story night tonight. Uh, I'm really excited for that. I just posted, just shared on Facebook the event for it and wrote with the with the share that there's this guy who came up to me. I think his, his name is Chris. And at the last story night, uh, in when, what month is it? Okay. So this month is January. So at December story night, he attended and that was his first time attending. And he just said, I ran into him two weeks later and he, and he said, uh, he came up to me as I was, uh, just at this, uh, brewery reading a book by myself and he came up and was like hey I uh, just wanted to let you know that I really enjoyed story night he's like I yeah I've never experienced anything like that and um, I've never felt more connected to a room full of strangers than than that night and so and I thought wow that really that really gets right to the heart of it um, and uh, I guess that that sentence, that endorsement of it, or that sentiment that he felt is exactly, um, that's how I hope everybody feels. That's how I've felt at times, how I think I usually feel when I'm there. And um, so that was just awesome to hear that. It made me feel really good. And um, again, you know, if you're thinking of, uh, it, it really, I would love to, to encourage, encourage anyone listening, like you can start a story night if you want to. It's, it's not, there's nothing, uh, really, you know, grandiose or special about it. If you do want to do that, you know, reach out to me. I guess I have a few, uh, ideas that have helped get the thing going. And now it's to the point where like I used to have to, I'd go through 
so many contacts in my phone and send out messages saying, hey, there's a, I'm trying to, you know, I've got this event tonight. It's been really cool in the past. You know, come join in if you can. Um, you know, tell a story or just sit back and listen. And so I would spend a lot of personal time sending personal uh, invites to friends of mine. But now it's kind of gotten to the point where, thanks to a friend that, that helps me out with organizing the event and hosting the event, we just have like a, a continuous uh, Facebook event that has each time there's nowadays there's like, I don't know, close to 100 people that are either interested or, uh, or click that they're going. And then what ends up happening, like last time, I think we had about the same number um, of interested and going people on Facebook as we do tonight. And last time we had uh, 50 people show up, which is pushing the limits of for seating at the gallery. So we'll see how, how many people show up tonight. Um, and what am I going to... So I usually just introduce the night and sometimes I tell a story. Um, and sometimes uh, I then tell the story on here. In, um, so I'm trying to think what I'm going to talk about tonight. I probably will just introduce it. And then I always try to have a story in my back pocket in case there's not a lot of people who are who feel ready to share anything. So <clears throat> I think kind of what's been on my mind, the, the story that I've been bringing into conversations with, with my friends as I just get together with them uh, for dinner or for drinks lately has been kind of this thing that happened over Christmas break. And I'm not, I don't want to go into full detail because it involves um, some close friends that uh, like in another year or two, they'll probably be fine with me um, telling the, uh, <laughs> using, using their names and everything. But it was, I witnessed something where a, uh, a close friend, like, um, <laughs> hmm. See, I, I'm, I'm okay. Maybe sharing it at story night tonight, but I, uh, cause, cause nothing is recorded there, but, uh, here on the podcast, I'm not sure that I want to divulge all the information. I'll just say that it was at, at and I'm sorry, I'm being such a kind of such a tease with this. It was a moment where I was, it was the most hilarious thing I'd ever seen and the most horrifying thing that, that I'd ever seen. And after it happened, I mean, it, it took me a whole day of just the next day of just digesting how crazy it was. Um, basically, what I'm going to say happened is this person fell down and fell down in a way and into something that it could have ended up so much worse. It, it turned out to be totally fine, but uh, <laughs> it could have ended up way worse. And it's kind of like if there was footage of it, it would definitely make America's Funniest Home Videos. But what this experience helped me to realize is since this person was close to me, now all of a sudden I'm looking, I'm watching, 
you know, any of those like America's Funniest Home Videos or Kook Slams or whatever and realizing like, oh, they have friends and family members, you know, uh, the people that are falling down or that are, you know, getting hit by a wave or, you know, just getting, getting messed up in some way. They have <laughs> close friends or family members that for them, seeing that experience, seeing that uh, friend or family member get hurt in some way is a much different experience than us who are uh, distant from the whole thing. And um, it kind of, like after this thing happened, I was kind of, for the rest of the night, I was just sort of a little zoned out, like a little kind of freaked out, like, oh my gosh, this person could have like possibly died or like had to go to, go to the hospital with serious injuries. And, and it suddenly like brought me back into realizing like that's true of any of us really at any time, any of us could get hurt at any time. <laughs> um, so I'll probably tell it's a, but it's a much better story if I can tell the whole exactly what happened but I'm and I probably will here on the podcast eventually but uh, I want to give it a little more time <laughs> so I might tell that full story tonight at story night really this ties into um, you know with existentialism and uh, guys like Kierkegaard saying that we live in an absurd universe and now all of a sudden that's becoming a lot more clear to me of, I think I'm starting to understand what they mean because when you experience something like that, where you go, Oh my gosh, like any of us could die at any time. Um, or that was so weird how that happened there. It, it's kind of the incoming of something you could have never expected beforehand. Um, <laughs> that's the incoming of, of the absurd. Um, and, and it's something that kind of rings your bell. And like I said, the whole next day I was sitting around just trying to make sense of, it was both hilarious to me and made me want to cry at the same time because it was so, uh, shocking, I guess. Um, and it kind of, I guess the, the one story that I can tell that is maybe not quite the same level as this, but, but somewhat similar was like a time where it would be the closest to a near death experience that I've had, which was just, I was going out painting with a friend, uh, probably like five years ago. And we were driving down from Red Lodge to Cody and all of a sudden this oncoming car was I like was just about to have a head on with them. And so I swerved uh, at the last second to miss them. It felt like we barely missed each other, but I kind of was going off into the ditch onto the right side of the highway and um, probably going about 60 and yanked the wheel to get back onto the highway. And of course, overcorrected and then lost control of the car and, uh, hit a guardrail, did a 360 on the, on the highway. Luckily there was no other oncoming car behind this other 
other car, but because we would have totally hit, you know, we I I uh, veered right into the oncoming lane um, and passed, or you know, and then also into the guardrail on the left-hand side of the highway, and then did a 360 <coughs> and uh, hit the other guardrail, came to a stop. <clears throat> the window in the back, you know, blew out. Uh, this was my awesome little Honda Civic that was a hybrid, stick shift hybrid, and I missed that car so much because it got like 45 miles to the gallon. It was, it was so awesome. <clears throat> but I was out, <clears throat> excuse me, I was out going out painting that day with my friend Susanna, um, who was one of my best friends in Red Lodge. And uh, she, <laughs> we had uh, gotten these coffees uh, from the coffee roasters in Red Lodge. And um, she had like a latte. And, you know, we come to a stop and I look over and Susanna like grabs me and she's like, like angels took care of us. But as she's saying it, there's all this latte just dripping down off of her face. And of course, it wasn't funny to me at the, maybe it was kind of funny to me at the, you, you kind of, as soon as you find out like, oh, okay, you're okay. Okay. I think I'm okay. Yep. I'm okay. And then for a second, it's kind of funny. And then the, and then the like horror of the whole thing sets in. But, <laughs> but now looking back on the, on the memory really the thing that sticks out is just the latte dripping down off of her face with glass all around us and like the hood of my car just all crumpled up and you know the guardrails all blown out <clears throat> and everything so that's another experience that kind of like is somewhat similar to this to this other one where it both um is kind of funny looking back on it and is also horrifying and, and, um, just, you know, startles you back into, it kind of shakes you back into that reality that, um, any of us could die at, at any time, um, you know, in, in so many different ways. <laughs> I, sorry, that's like kind of sad and, and, uh, maybe a little depressing, but, um, but it is the truth, I think. <laughs> And, um, anyways, yeah, I don't know really where to go from there. I, um, let's see what else. Oh, I've been working on the website, um, moving things around. I've kind of, you know, this after the several big shows that I did last year and even, you know, Daniel and I had our show bridge and then we did another holiday sale and I was just trying to grind through the holiday season trying to get as many sales as I could uh, because for me going into January, February, March um, that's always a slow time of year uh, sales wise and so I was really grinding hard trying to um, get as much um, money in the old bank account as I could and um, yeah I'd say I'd say unfortunately I didn't uh, there's not as much in there as I'd hoped for, but, um, but that's okay. And, um, cause I kind of, the, some of the sales went, went pretty well, but I just, I spent so much money on various things, advertising, uh, uh, 
you know, sending out invites and stuff. It, it's all, it's an expensive thing to, to, uh, you know, try to put together a really good show. So, um, I think over the Christmas break, I just kind of like didn't want to think about anything. I'd been pushing so hard. So I, I just have been enjoying my friends and my time alone, my reading time, uh, doing this podcast, thinking about things, um, thinking about what I want for this new year, what things I want to try to accomplish. And I just the other day started feeling motivated to get kind of back to work at the gallery. So um, I still got to rehang the gallery, clean it up a little bit. Um, and, uh, but I kind of started with the website. So if you go check out the website, it's kind of rearranged a little bit. I wrote new things to go on the about us page and the, or the contact and about us page wrote kind of a new, uh, little, uh, uh, I guess kind of bio biography that's connected with me. Um, and let's see what else. Last week I got a, I had a, uh, there was a friend that emailed in asking if I would, he'd like to hear my thoughts regarding a a video that he had sent to me um, that kind of corresponded with some of the things that I've been talking about on the podcast. And so I took a look at that and I I spent a long time kind of writing out uh, this guy's main points and making sure that I fully understood where he was coming from as best I could. And um, so I'm going to send over to that friend um, my full email. But what I, what I enjoyed about it was that it, it gave me a lot to um, kind of, as in, in some ways I disagree or, or felt that the points he was making uh, were a little that uh, a person could go further, um, and of course the you know the video is a thirty-minute speech that this guy gives, um, and so maybe he would go further if he was given given the time, but um, it it helped me to to kind of tarry with uh, maybe that viewpoint and that he kind of represents and to see, um, to help me clarify a little bit of where I'm coming from. And so I think I put this up on my own bio page, um, a part of what I had written in response to that email. So let's see if it makes any sense to share it on here. I'm not going to share everything that I wrote in response to the email, but, um, Basically, this guy in this video was was saying how we are influenced by our culture, and um, I really agree with that, um, and that we we kind of all find our identity in our culture, and so, um, um, uh, or we we tend to, anyways. I guess I'd like to add to uh, different ways. He at, in, at the end of his video, he kind of gives an idea of where a person can find their identity. And I, I think he's he's on the way to being uh, 
having a compelling answer, but it just never was for me in his speech fully realized. So I, I kind of took from there a little further and, and tried to, and I tried to bring in some of these different existentialist thinkers, um, ideas that I've learned from uh, Peter Rollins uh, and Freud and um, uh, uh, Sartre and Kierkegaard, all into um, how I'm understanding uh, one way, at least, in which a person can um, kind of get an identity in this in this world and this is this is what I'm gonna say that is making sense to me now but uh, again I think that there's other things that I could say that I also believe as well but this is just one part of it so so I kind of agree with this guy that you sent over that we are influenced by our culture and I think that this has a lot to do with what Freud called the superego. The superego is the external voices that we internalize. These are the words, corrections, and expectations of our parents, our friends, our teachers, our culture at large. It's the voices that tell us, you have to go to college if you want to make it in this world. You know, you've got to get married. You've got to get that job. Look how much fun everyone else is having. Uh, you know, you shouldn't be wasting your life watching Netflix every night. You've got to be having more fun. Buy the house, buy the car, work out, read this, you know, stop doing this, do this. You know, the superego is all these voices that tell you, you know, if you just obey these things, then you'll be happy. And these voices can be good and bad and true and untrue. So they're the voices that work on us, that compel us, or that can shame us, that can make us feel less than, or that build us up. Again, I want to go back to that they are the external voices that we internalize. And, and we're kind of, oh yeah, here I go on to say, we swim in their messages every day. You know, we see like K-Jeweler diamond ring ads, and we think that that's what, um, what we've got to do to be happy. That's what will will make our significant other totally happy, and that's what love means. That kind, of, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, car ads, bank ads, basically anywhere that shows us other people doing these things, and because they do these things, they're happy. You know, I think in advertising, that was a, a huge leap forward where they, within advertising, they showed. A person in relation to the product that that the company was trying to sell and and how much joy they get or seemingly get anyways out of the fact that they are a person that now owns a nice refrigerator or dishwasher or you know and how great life is and all those things you know they're not necessarily bad but that's this is how I think we should start to understand what the superego is um, in Freud's, for, in understanding what Freud means by this anyways. Um, 
I say here, you know, even my gallery does it to some extent. Um, you know, the message being that to be an artist, uh, you've got to get in good with a gallery, a group of friends, you've got to travel and you've got to be the best. And of course, none of that is necessarily true. There's plenty of artists that make livings and live fulfilled lives and do it completely differently than I or my friends do. Um, I would say that one of the strongest, most pervasive superego voices out there that I keep running into again and again and again that kind of drives me nuts is that kind of we're all selling each other on the idea that you've got to have a social media presence. And, um, you know, so many small businesses, so many people that are close to me feel like they're dropping the ball because they just can't get that part figured out. Um, I think, I think that comes up to, for me more often with other people, because some people think that I do a great job at that with the gallery and, and with my own art. And, you know, if you take a look at it, I wouldn't say that I do, at least compared to a lot of the friends that I represent, they do a much better job than I do. So many small businesses feel like they're dropping the ball because they just can't get that part figured out, not even realizing that probably 99% of successful businesses don't do social media particularly well, and yet they still manage to stay in business year after year. And that's kind of what I've found with the gallery that like, I do want to, you know, have a, a good social media presence, but at the end of the day, I think the more important thing um, for a gallery to do is to do a great job of staying connected with their clients in a way that makes the clients feel uh, cared about. So social media can be one great way of doing that. For me, I, I guess I'm more interested in like sending physical things in the mail, keeping people up to date through even phone calls or, uh, I mean, even this, in some sense, this podcast, but I think this podcast for me is more an exploration of myself. Yeah, let's, let's not forget that there's lots of businesses out there that, that don't, don't do a particularly great job of social media presence, and yet uh, they stick around year after year after year. And so there's lots of different ways to accomplish what maybe social media is trying to accomplish, staying connected with, with people, letting people know what you got, what's going on, all of that. And I mean, for me, like social media works awesome for like story night, you know, here in Billings. I really enjoy like Facebook for helping to create events and keep people in the loop of, you know, the different things that we're doing to send invites and that sort of thing, especially when it's a event that's happening over and over and over again versus I want to send more uh, personalized invitations to people when it's every once in a while, here's a really special event that I want you to come to and, um, and I know, you know, I know that some of these people are interested in collecting art. And so, you know, here's a personalized envelope. Here's some of the paintings that I, that we have available for this show. You can go online, all of that kind of stuff. 
of course, I can also do that on social media, but um, I guess I find that both ways work, and I kind of enjoy leaning more into the the more physical and personalized side of staying connected with people. Um, I should, you know, do both well, I guess, but there's only so much time in the day. Again, I'm kind of going back here again, Freud calls these voices the superego. And, um, and this is kind of the influence that I have from Peter Rollins here. He, he kind of says, you know, Freud calls it the superego. In Christianity, it's the serpent. It's the voice that says, Eve, if you eat the fruit, then you'll be like God. Then you'll be whole and complete. You know, if you go to college, if you get married, if you get in good with that gallery, if you, you know, just whatever it is that we fantasize about that, oh, if I could just get that thing, then I would be happy. You know, that is kind of the, the superego voices laying claim on our, our lives. And so whether these demands are good or bad, uh, we need to recognize when we're obeying these external serpentine voices and can we say in response to to those like yeah i'm good um, i'm okay with not being enough you know not being tall enough not being smart enough that's you know me saying that to the voices to my own you know internal thoughts that are me taking in external the external water that i swim in i guess that i then turn and judge myself with can I say to those judging voices, I'm okay not being enough, not being tall enough, not being rich enough, not being smart enough, so many other things. And I'm not going to beat myself up over, over that, you know, over not having a college degree, over not having enough Instagram followers, over not having, you know, some awesome gallery connection. Sometimes we get the thing that we fantasize will make us happy. And then we realize like, oh, you know, life just goes on. Um, that's really important to realize that that's kind of true of so many things in our lives and that we constantly, as soon as we get one thing that we think will make us happy and realize that, that it doesn't necessarily or that it's fleeting, we then move on to another thing that like, oh, it wasn't that. It wasn't this thinker, you know, that that gave me, um, you know, like I'm I'm done finding this author really interesting or I'm done um, you know okay I got that gallery connection basically my life doesn't change that much it does slightly but not not that much it doesn't fill that hole in my heart and so we, we we keep on looking for that thing that that we think can make us make us happy that we think will will fill that um, but kind of the radical move as Peter Rollins would say, is like that you you begin to realize that's kind of just the nature of being itself, that um, we're always going to look for that thing that we think will make us happy. And we kind of oscillate between depression and melancholy. And this is, this is kind of what the philosopher Schopenhauer talks about, that, that depression is kind of the sadness that we feel when we don't 
have the thing that we think will make us happy. And so we pine for, you know, that relationship or having that extra $2,000 or that car or whatever. And then, so that's depression. And then we oscillate and sometimes we get the thing that we think will make us, make us happy. And then we realize that it doesn't really. And so then that's melancholy. Melancholy is like the sadness that you feel once you get the thing that you thought would make you whole and complete and you realize that it doesn't necessarily. And so you, you go find another thing that you can be depressed about. <laughs> so realizing that tendency in ourselves and, and just going, okay, I, I, it's not that we give up longing for something. It's just holding it in a different way where you go, I am moving towards these goals, but I know that if I get them, my life won't necessarily be incredibly better. So there, there's, you've got you've to gotta figure out like how to enjoy the not having. It's kind of the same as, I think this is what Lewis talks about uh, when he talks about the difference between joy and, hap yeah, joy and happiness. Joy is like the not having of a Christmas present. You know, it's the, it's like the little kid under the Christmas tree or the little kid, uh, you know, being so excited about everything that's under the Christmas tree and all the presents. And he's fantasizing about how amazing life is going to be once he has all the, whatever it is, you know, it's all the toys or whatever. And then of course, you know, you know, Christmas comes and he opens it and it's, there is incredible pleasure and happiness in that moment but it's a fleeting happiness. So joy is kind of the not having of something and, and happiness is a great emotion, but it's, but we should realize that it's pretty fleeting and, and orient our lives towards pursuing things that give us uh, joy, I guess, instead of, instead of always pursuing happiness. For me, the work of bringing about story night, the work of trying to, trying to do what I can to help make the world feel a little less lonely. It's not like there's a incredible happiness. I mean, even now recording this, I'm happy, but it's not the same kind of happiness that I get. Like, you know, if I were to like, I don't know, go, um, ride a, a ride at a theme park or I don't even like rides at a theme park, but you know, like kissing a girl for the first time or something. That's like a, a kind of happiness that is, um, you know, it's like a in the moment happiness that's different from <laughs> different from what I'm doing now. And yet this is what makes for a fulfilled um, life for me. Um, okay, I'm kind of rambling and I want to get back to uh, how I kind of sum this up. And this is sort of, I think, in my summary here, this is me trying to make what I've learned through existentialism kind of my own. I say that the alcoholic finds strength and freedom in the very confessing of his shortcoming. You know, they go to AA, they walk into a room full of people, and they say, I'm so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. Just in the very confessing of that shortcoming, strength follows 
right after, especially for somebody who does that for the first time. Um, similarly, though, I find my identity and my strength, especially lately, in the fact that that I am a mess, that I have contradictory thoughts and emotions, and that one day I want one thing and one day I want another, and um, you know that I pursue oftentimes things to my own detriment. But I find strength in just admitting that to myself and to listeners of this podcast or at Story Night to just to try to put aside the fake facade of like, especially, you know, if, if you were to look at my, you know, social media profile and stuff, you're only seeing a curated side of me. I know all the other sides of me that's, you know, lazy and likes to eat bad food and, you know, all of that. So there's some strength in just admitting, like, I'm not perfect. I am at times lonely. I do struggle with insecurities. I do feel again and again and again that I'm not good enough in different ways. I have the capacity to hurt people, and I have the capacity to build people up. I'm, so I'm a mix of there's less than desirable parts about me, and there are admirable parts about me. Thank God, at times, I'm graciously reminded that I'm small. And not by cause of other people's belittling remarks or actions. That's something that Alain de Baton talks about. Um, really great uh, a guy from the UK that's worth looking up. Uh, author and uh, founder of the School of Life. He talks about how other people make us to feel small all the time. But he says, um, well, and then what I've written here. So not by cause of other people's belittling remarks or actions, but because I see the stars above, I see the mountains before me, the mass of humanity to my back, and those unborn that have and already will one day turn to dust. You know, in comparison to the stars above, any problems in my life are pretty small, or, you know, the big, you know, Rocky Mountains just to the west of me here, or... Um, just thinking about, I mean, that's one thing that's great about travel, right? Um, especially for a small town, you know, small town guy like me to go to a big city. And it's, it's just like this unbelievable experience for me where it's like, man, there's, there's just a ungodly amount of people here. <laughs> like it's, it's really crazy hard for me to fathom to realize that there are so many people in the world and so many people who have who have lived before me and so many people that are going to live after me hopefully <laughs> um and but we're all going to turn to dust one day and so in these ways i think you know we can be made to feel small but in a good way um, i find my identity in the fact that the universe refuses to let me make sense of it this is kind of getting back to this existentialist idea of the absurd, um, you know, that quantum mechanics can't be reconciled with Einstein's theory of relativity, that every time I think I've got life figured out, I'm upended, you know, something that I never expected would happen, happens, that explanations of the horrors of this life fall flat, and yet 
And this is, again, getting back to the antagonism that kind of underlies, it seems, almost all of existence. That this world and this life is so indescribably beautiful that it inspires poets and painters to take up the never-ending task of trying to tell us about it. So, um, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of how how I'm thinking of. Uh, here's here's what I can say: life is like to to live. That I can't make sense of the universe at times. That um, I have to make decisions. You know that we as Kierkegaard would, I think, would would kind of say like, we have to act, we have to do something with our lives, and yet we live in anguish, we live in existential angst, we have to act, and yet we don't know exactly what the best right thing to do is because we can perceive of our lives going down a multitude, an in you know, an infinite different set of paths and yet we can only go down one living with that tension of knowing i'm going to die and will i make the most of my life will i find meaning you know creates a little bit of anxiety and but just admitting that that's <laughs> that's just the state of it that's ontological uh being that's ontology i think anyways there's all these words that I'm learning that are they're just starting to kind of make sense to me. The, the way I just heard it explained, I've been trying to read uh, Paul Tillich. Um, he's a Christian uh, kind of existentialist philosopher. Uh, and um, I was just listening to Peter Rollins, and he was explaining the difference between kind of the, the psychological problems that we all face uh, um, as individuals you know, so there's certain problems that are uh, particular to an individual's life, and that's that's kind of where psychoanalysis can help because it it dives into the infinite mystery that is any one given individual, and try and tries to help make sense of it. Ontological problems are more just the problems that are inherent to being to being a being <laughs> um, that are common to all of us, I guess. I, I think that that's, that's what um, ontology means. It's like, it's the study of being, of those kinds of problems. Anyways, I have rambled on for a long, long time now, and um, I should probably end this thing. So, uh, I gotta get ready for story night tonight. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, be good to yourselves, and I will talk to you next week.